0: You went from investment maker to 4 driver to a pitching coach for the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, apparently, yeah, I guess.
1: Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man who nearly landed the role of Kit
0: in the original Knight Rider, my brother Mike. I was just edged out by the guy that played Mr. Feeney. Okay. turned became a legend, launched his became career. a legend as Mr. Feeney on
1: Bone Boy Meets World, but Meets before
0: World. that. Actually, I think he had won a couple Emmys prior to that. But yeah. like the dude, I mean, he, he's not better than me. You're not better than wait, what? You, think, you think you're better than me? <laughs> no, no, no. He's, I don't know Feeny, how you ended up losing up on Feeny that role. Because me.
1: I think you were the car kit. I think I think you embodied it. I think it's because in that audition, you ended up taking your pants off and then things went south yeah. from there. Well,
0: and here's the like, This is a voice role, sir. What are, what are you talking Talk doing? about a gig they robbed me of. I mean, all you got to do is be the voice of a car in a live <laughs> action show? Yeah. And you're yeah. the smartest one on the show? Yeah.
1: That, that's uh, the license to print money, my friends. License to print money. On this week's episode, we'll review a week that saw a very small winning streak from the Royals, literally the smallest winning streak you can have, but hey, it was fun while it lasted. Because the upco- We'll also discuss the upcoming MLB draft, preview this week's slate of games, have a little general banter and tomfoolery, the usual stuff. Mike, how are you feeling about the boys in blue lately?
0: You know, seeing the young stars become stars is kind of fun. With MJ Melendez, things he's been able to do. Bobby Witt Jr. just doing insane great things. And the legend, Jonathan Heasley. Right. Of course. I, one star I'm missing
1: is, is a Kyle Isbell. Have you seen him? Have you heard from I, him lately? Does anybody they, uh,
0: know? Uh, maybe he's he working I at Arby's part time. I'm not exactly I, sure. I, I, I can't figure it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know, but
1: it's, it's, it's rough for me. I, I just drives me crazy to look at the lineup against right handers and not see his name in there because this is the guy who is going to be a part of your next winning team, hopefully. Right. And so why is he not in there? Why is he not developing? He hits the ball really hard. He does well when he's in, he went one for four the other day, but I found that shocking because he hadn't played in three days. You take three days off, you get to play once or twice a week and you come in and you hit when you can't, when you're allowed to play. That's incredible. Give him more at bats, give him more chances to get comfortable and develop and get in a groove. It's wild to me that they've decided that he can find no place in this lineup, especially when guys like Nicky Lopez are hitting near the Mendoza line. Not a lot of terribly significant roster news this week from the Royals. It was mostly reliever stuff, guys getting healthy and that sort of thing. Uh, they did send down reliever Colin Snyder. It was, it was fun. It was a fun little moment there at the beginning of the year when he was uh, coming in and stranded runners. But lately it's been a, a circus when uh, Colin Snyder comes to town. And so they sent him back with an ERA, I think north of eight. Uh, in, in Major League Baseball so far. He's down in, tri- in A now. The Royals uh, got Amir Garrett back, and he made an outing – or he had an outing again today um, after just getting back from the IL. A few other guys that were sent out on rehab assignments. Zach Greinke, I think, made his first rehab start today, or maybe it's tomorrow. I can't remember. Um, Edward Olivares has been getting some rehab time. And then Cam Gallagher has been uh, rehab playing for almost a week now, I think. And yeah, so- I think he's
0: he's due to be back soon, I think, if – That's going to be an interesting, what do you do when he comes back? You're probably carrying three catchers, honestly. Unless you trade somebody. Or two catchers
1: and a right fielder catcher DH in Melendez. It's It's hard to classify him just as a catcher. I mean, I think what will happen is if they do end up carrying all three of them, Cam Gallagher, MJ Melendez, and Salvador Perez, you'll see Melendez spend a lot more time in right field and DH than he does at catcher. I think the way he's played defensively this year sort of makes them want to, pump the brakes a little bit on him having a lot of catching time this year give him time in the offseason spring to work on it because cam is probably going to get those off days for salvi once he gets back i would imagine but who knows maybe they'll decide not to carry three catchers maybe finally they'll decide to trade Cam gallagher at some point apparently they get calls about him every year and it would be nice for him to get a chance somewhere else i suppose to play Um, a little more yeah yeah maybe he gets a chance to play a little bit more but We'll see on that front. It might be uh, what they absolutely cannot do. Obviously, I think it's obvious. God, I hope it's obvious at this point to them is they cannot send MJ Melendez back down to AAA. That would be insane. He is your best hitter right now. It would be nuts to send him back to AAA, but this is the Royals we're talking about. A Royals team that went three and four this week, actually, which... You know, we mentioned a slight winning streak. That was their three game winning streak. They had a win against the Astros in their final game against them, and then two wins to start the Baltimore series. Things were looking pretty nice after that. Spirits were ticked up just a little bit. And then they went and had to lose the next two to Baltimore in devastating fashion. That brings their overall record to 20 and 39, almost 60 games played in this season. I think the big positive that I'm taking away from this week was that the offense started looking a lot better this week. They scored quite a few runs in that Baltimore series. They had just better at bats all the time. They're getting guys on, but more importantly, they're getting hits when those guys are on. They're hitting the ball with some power with MJ Melendez, Hunter Dozier's back now and had four hits today. I think Bobby Witt Jr. is on a tear right now. And Michael A. Taylor is, is producing offensively. It's one of those things where we talked about how the before the season, how we thought the lineup could be pretty good if certain things went went the right way. They weren't going the right way for the first 30, 40, 50 games, but in the last 10 to 12 games, things have started looking a lot better, of course, since they made a change at hitting coach.
0: Yeah, the pitching has really been the ball and chain recently, and that, that starting pitching and early pitching has not been good for this team, but watching that new offensive approach, watching some of these guys start to mature as they get more at-bats under their belt in Major League Baseball really is exciting. It's exciting to watch every time MJ Melendez comes into the box and Bobby Witt Jr. And when Kyle Isbell very infrequently gets to go into the box. Uh, Those things are good. And it's awesome to see Michael A. Taylor's new approach and the fact that he's being more patient and hitting the ball a little bit. This This is a Michael A. Taylor. You thought, well, if he takes a big step forward offensively, he could be a really valuable player. hes It seems like he's done that. And well, so that's wild.
1: You need to know if you're listening, how uncommon it is for someone to make that kind of stride in their age 31 season. You just do not see hitters become that much more patient in in that late in their career it just doesn't happen very often it's extremely rare and so Michael A. Taylor playing the way he is I think he now leads the team in weighted runs created plus after a really good day today which is crazy he is the one one of the best defenders in major league baseball or one of and now he looks like a what he's 28% above league average as a hitter right now. It's insane. That is a crazy, crazy turnaround from him. Great to see for him. And now it looks like the Royals have a real steal of a contract on him too, because they got him for two years, nine million total last year. So that includes this year and next year. And is a very valuable trade chip for them. I think now people are going to say, well, don't trade him. He's playing well. Like well, he's 31 years old. Okay. He is not going to be there starting. You don't, you don't pay guys. You don't keep guys around for their best seasons. You pay them and play them for the future. And so the best thing that they can do is get as much value out of them as they can, because teams are going to be interested. There's just no way they're not going to be interested in a new look. Michael A. Taylor, who's patient at the plate, productive offensively and pays a gold glove center field. That's a very valuable player. But I think you're right. The pitching is really the thing we need to focus on. And, and you saw those first two games against Baltimore. We get solid starts from Heasley and from who, who, who was the other solid one from? Was it Singer? Yes. I want to say it was Singer. We got mm-hmm. solid starts from Heasley and Singer and we looked really great in those games. Offensively, they turned out, it was a real smooth winning games. Nice, nicely done. And then, you know, Lynch comes out, craps the bed was good for four innings. In the fifth inning, it was very clear that his command started to wane. He got out of his mechanics a little bit. He kind of got through that fifth, but they left him in a little bit long, and he just gets shelled in the sixth. Today, Brad Keller came out and looked like the Brad Keller that started out 2021. He looked real, real bad. Mm. Cal Eldred comes, tries to help out as best he can. Nothing ends up changing, and he just gives up five runs very bad.
0: It was Bubich on the start for that first game.
1: Oh, sorry, Bubich. Sorry to give credit where it wasn't due. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and Bubic wasn't
0: great, but... uh, (laughs) He wasn't great,
1: but, you know, he he gutted it out and the Royals ended up winning. But, you know, inconsistent starting pitching. And then the bullpen just hasn't been right
0: for quite a while now. Uh, You see guys having, you know... If it's not Barlow or Stalmont, you have no idea what you're getting. It's a crapshoot every single day.
1: I will say...
0: I will say Coleman's down. been pretty effective
1: since he came up. And Jose Quas right now is the guy I have maybe the
0: most faith in at this but point. Here's the thing. Has been I really don't have good. a whole lot of faith even in Coleman yet because he puts guys on base sometimes. That's but true. I realize he's, been, he's had a good little run here. But before that, he was getting roughed up because he's walking the world. Yeah. So right now you can really say
1: Barlow, Stamont are the ones you maybe have a little faith in. Quas I think has been really good, but overall it's just not a terribly and Payam Payams has been really good too all year, and so but overall it hasn't been effective enough as a bullpen because Clark's been wild, Snyder's been wild. He just went down, you know. It hasn't been uh, effective enough, and neither has the starting rotation. Too inconsistent is the pitching staff, and that's the thing that's really been the chain around their neck this week. So it's no surprise that our strong performances really came from hitters this week. Mike, tell us who at the plate really shined for you in this last week.
0: Hey, Bobby, Bobby Witt junior. That's my new thing. I just came up with that.
1: Okay. Copyright. We're going to a little copyright. copyright those,
0: those, those, those punks stip- over at Royals farm report are going to steal that. Print it, stamp it, sell it for a million dollars. Okay. <laughs> uh, so Bobby Witt junior 10 for 25 this week. One. Now this is great. One double, one triple, one home run. That's great. Uh, two walks hit the crap. Even when he was getting out, he was hitting the crap out of the ball. Uh that's a two technical walks term. Two yes, that's how we label it. Two walks and two stolen bases. Had played some great defense, had an OPS over one. When you thought, like, hey, what's Bobby Witt Jr., what, what can he do to help a team? It's this stuff, this variety of things that, where you have him scoring today on a throwing error when he's going to second base, all the way from second base uh, to score. He's that fast. He can do it. He can steal bases for you. But he can also hit the ball out of the ballpark and play you a, an above average, if not elite level of shortstop defense. Just exciting to watch when we we thought when the walk started to go up, that his offensive production would start to go up as well. And it seems like it has, he's adjusted. He he was hitting that breaking ball really well after he struggled with it early on, then they started throwing him heat. And now it looks like he started to adjust to that heat a little bit as well. I do have to give an honorable mention though, to my boy, Jonathan Heasley, the one bright shining spot in the starting rotation this week was Jonathan Heasley, with just a banger of a game against Baltimore, gave up one hit over seven innings. He's awesome. Yeah, that was quite a
1: performance from Heasley, exactly what we thought he could be if he decided to start living in the zone. He could be a really effective starter. He did that game, was, was incredible. And now, is he going to do that every time? No, <laughs>
0: is he going to play Baltimore
1: no. every week? No, no. But. <laughs> but you you get you know feast against who you can. You know, like you know, beat up on the teams you should beat up on, and he should be beating up on that lineup because they're not very good. Bobby Wood Jr. is also beating up on, and you know, you, we've I've noticed as sort of he has taken those walks and become more patient, and he's starting to mature. They're more willing to come into the zone on him. They know that they're going to have to, and that's why he's really hitting for a lot of more power and and, and hitting well is because. They can't just throw him sliders down and away outside the zone anymore. He's too wise. He lets those go now. And so it's coming to the zone. And if you, he might swing and miss there some, but he's much more likely to make some solid, hard contact. And as you said, he is hitting the crap out of the ball. That's a scouting term that we just came up with. Let's come up with a whole bunch of bunk scouting terms. Like, well, he's just, he's really, he smoked that turkey. What's That's a smoked right. turkey? What's that? <laughs> uh,
0: you don't know? You ain't going to know. Uh um, really fired uh, that cracker. Yeah. Boom!
1: <laughs> boom. <laughs> uh, my performer of the week, my strong performer of the week is going to be the, the aforementioned Michael A. Taylor having a hell of a week, seven for 14. He had one double, one home run, three walks, one strikeout. I don't even know if those numbers include what he did today. And he went off again today. It's just been a really, really solid week for him. A guy whose new approach is doing so much for him, not just in terms of walks, as we mentioned previously and on Twitter and things like that. He has doubled his walk rate from last year, which is mind blowing. And he's also big time cut back on his strikeout rate, also huge. And so it has just done so much for what he can do when he gets a hold of the ball in the strike zone. He hits it hard. He hits the other way a lot of the time. And it is really, he has found his offensive game and it's working so well for him.
0: And I think we're going to see with him, like you just said with Bobby Witt Jr., because as they start to think, well, we can't just have this guy swinging at pictures outside the zone. They're going to have to come in the zone. And Michael A. Taylor was always known as a guy who had a little bit of pop for a speed type player. And now he's showing it really. Now he can really show it as guys are going to be forced to throw him more strikes. And what he seems to be doing is the one thing that he has also maybe
1: struggled with in the past is heat. He has some trouble sometimes getting on top of elite fastballs. What he does now is he's forcing them to come in the zone with elite fastballs with their fastballs. And if they do that, He's trying to take it the other way, which is good. Or if he's anticipating it, if he's ahead in the count and he anticipates it, maybe he gets a hold of one, pulls it out of the ballpark. But either way, it's a hard hit ball. It's put in play. It has a good chance of becoming a hit. And that's his game right now. If you got to hit it the other way, fine. He can do that. He's been doing that. If he has the chance, he'll turn on one and pull it out, but no big deal. Either way, he's getting hits, he's getting on base, and that's hugely, hugely valuable when you are the best defensive center fielder in baseball. That's hugely valuable. There's got to be a team out there that really wants him and is willing to give up something significant because they're going to get a year and a half of those services, and he looks like a much improved offensive player. Somebody I think could stand to use some improvement, a guy I think a better coach might help improve. Mike, tell us about Daniel Lynch and the week he had
0: because it wasn't very good. Yeah, Daniel Lynch uh, got roughed up again this week, 11-inning pitch, 10 earned runs in those 11 innings. But again, and I I said this I think last week or two weeks ago, his peripheral numbers don't look terrible. Like he still had 11 strikeouts. He only walked three guys. What does that tell you? It tells you he's making too many mistakes in the zone, and they're pummeling those mistakes. And so when you say, well, what, what happens if Cal Eldred gets fired? This is a guy that's a candidate to take giant steps under a competent pitching coach.
1: Yeah, a competent pitching coach who understands the game plan that Lynch should be employing, who knows how to help him make his mechanics more consistent. Because you could see in that last game that he went out, I think it was on Saturday, he was cruising for four innings, and that was great. Sometimes still missing in the zone, but not nearly as often. He gets to the fifth and you could tell mechanically something changed and he could not keep the ball out of the center of the plate. He should have been crushed in that fifth inning. He got lucky because Baltimore made a couple base running mistakes and got out on the base pads. Then the sixth comes and nothing's fixed because Cal Eldred can't make adjustments on the fly. And Daniel Lynch goes out, starts throwing balls down the middle sliders, mostly hanging, hanging in the middle of the plate and is getting crushed. Cal Eldred comes out to talk to him in the sixth, goes back in Lynch, of course, immediately gives up a home run. This is the sort of thing we're talking about. Good pitching coaches know how to help players quickly adjust, get their mechanics back on track and do well. It could be as simple as a reminder. Hey, a reminder to stay closed. Hey, a reminder that your foot needs to be, needs to land here or in this way. These sorts of tiny mechanical things can help cues can help them find their command again. It doesn't look like Cal has any clue how to start helping players find their command, refine their command, or know what they need to be doing with the ball in order to not keep it in the center of the plate.
0: Or at the very least, he needs to have a conversation with Lynch and his catcher and say, right now it looks like you can't command that slider in the zone. Not that you can't throw it, but we need to ease off the slider a little bit, at least for the next couple innings or inning, so that we can work with those pitches that you are commanding well at this point, or the ones you're commanding best at this point. Because if you, it doesn't matter what pitch you're, you're throwing. If it ends up in the middle, it's going out. So, And
1: that's a that's the thing. Baseball is a game of adjustments, but they're not just adjustments between starts. They're not just adjustments in the offseason. They're adjustments pitch to pitch, batter to batter, and things like that. You have to think quickly and on your feet. And it doesn't seem like as an organization or as a team, they're capable of doing that with their pitching staff. At this point, you see guys who are constantly doing something in a start that they should not be doing because you can see many, like how oh, many starts you didn't have bootage. your do the yeah, same exactly. thing over with this and over fastball. And right, yeah. right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, you didn't have your fastball slider, whatever today. Why did you keep throwing it so much for the first three innings? Or why do you keep throwing it so much? You don't have it. So get away from it. You have to make an adjustment. They are very slow to adjust, especially with the pitching staff and it's hurting guys like Daniel Lynch's development. I cannot wait until they get somebody in there who could actually make him as good as he could possibly be, because I do think it's in there. It is definitely in there. The stuff is there. The swing and miss stuff is there. I think he can be it. They just got to find somebody who actually knows what they're doing with a pitcher. I don't really know how to bring up the next guy because we keep talking about him. And I really don't want to like, I don't mean to harp on him. He had his bobblehead day today. but our second week performer of the week is one Nikki Lopez. I've been talking about this a little bit on Twitter. I'm We're starting to see whether or not he could actually be an everyday player. And it's not, I mean, I know we had a lot of hope last year. He had a great season last year. Maybe it wasn't a fluke, maybe all these sorts of things. But he right now he looks like a bench player if I've ever seen one. He was 0 for 14 this week. He went hitless in 14 plate appearances this week. One walk, seven, one strikeout. I start to wonder, Mike, and maybe you can sort of talk me down off this ledge, but I am just not ready to commit to playing him every day after what I've seen so far this season. I think he's probably a bench player. What do you think? It, it, tell me I'm wrong. I know everybody loves him, and I know this is going to be a controversial opinion among Royals fans, but you cannot tell me that a dude with a, what,
0: 70 or 60 or whatever it is, weighted runs, created plus, should be playing every day. I think on a good team, a Nicky Lopez is a bench player. I think with the amount of young talent that you have coming up, that you're going to need to creatively, and it's going to have to be creatively, find spots for. He may have to be a guy that sits on a sem, you know, on and gets three days a week and not. Now, them not playing him today on his bobblehead day, that's a real kick to the plums. but. Uh, especially in a team that it doesn't really matter if you win today or not. I know. That's what I was thinking. I was like, why not play him? Who gives a shit? Like when they were,
1: when they were down big, I saw somebody on
0: Twitter post like
1: let's see Nicky pitch on his bobblehead day. I was like, yeah, why not? I mean, who cares,
0: you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's insane to me, but I don't think moving forward, he's going to be a guy you're going to be able to play every day. Now the good thing is Whit Merrifield provides you some flexibility in that. If we're talking about this season, He provides you some flexibility in that you can say, "Okay, Witt, go play second. And now we have opened up an outfield spot for Kyle Isbell or whatever. Okay, moving forward, I don't know if we're going to have that, but I just don't think he's a guy that gets in there every single day. Now, you love his defense, but you can't go up there and, and have be nothing offensively. Yeah, you sort of love his defense. He hasn't been
1: as good defensively this year as he was last year. But then that's the thing. If you're really, 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 really bad offensively, you have to be nails defensively. And I just, I, I don't know. I just his offense walks too on too fine an edge to be a consistent everyday performer in Major League Baseball. And we were saying it last year, and then we we ate crow when we thought, hey, this is Nicky Lopez. He's better than we thought, and maybe he is better than we ultimately thought. But bench player really looks like his future, and I don't know that he'll ever really reach the peaks of the offensive production he was able to do last year. Or if he does, it'll always be a thing that can't be sustained long-term just because he doesn't hit the ball hard enough. And
0: let's be clear. The reason we think this is, is we think major league baseball made an adjustment to Nikki Lopez. They said, okay, this kind of guy, we've got to start hammering high fastballs in there because he is very reliant on hitting a lot of line drives. If we can make it difficult for him to hit those line drives, then we can, staunch his offensive ability. Now it's on Nikki Lopez to make an adjustment to that, but I don't know that he necessarily can. If he can, great. Then he becomes maybe a, an offensive player that you can put in every day. But if he can't, then he's probably a bench guy.
1: Yeah. You look at the difference between him and Whit Merrifield. They've, they've made the same adjustment to Whit Merrifield. They want to throw him fastballs at the top of the zone. So he just hits lazy fly balls too. The difference is Merrifield can sometimes get to the top of the top of the zone with his bat and put them in play as line drives. Lopez can't. Every ball in the upper third is a lazy fly ball or infield fly ball for him. And those are outs. And so I just don't, I don't, I don't see it, but we'll see. I'm sure he'll keep getting some playing time because they don't have a whole ton of other options. And so hopefully he can turn this bad week around, turn this bad season around and get back to where he was last year. I only ever want players to have success. So hopefully that's in the future for Lopez. It's not Lopez. Who's really making the team struggle in any particular way. I am now squarely rooted in the camp of there is, it is very clear what's holding this team back. And that is a certain pitching coach who will remain nameless. His name is Cal Eldred it's weird for me because I watched this team struggle as much as it's struggled. And I'm like, why is this? It's always a pitcher doing this thing. It's always a starter who can't go beyond the first. It's always a, a bullpen that comes in and blows it. It's always a pitch that shouldn't have been made. It should have been a different pitch. It's always something that, makes absolutely no sense for it still to be happening over and over and over again. And people are pointing this out and they're saying, hey, well, ever since Dayton Moore came out and defended uh, Cal El- or Cal Eldred, he's been, the pitchers the, he's have been garbage. And it's like, yes, they are the worst pitching staff in baseball statistically right now, or one of at the very least. I'm not just talking about the rotation. I'm talking about the whole staff. They're at least one of the worst in baseball, as they have been since Cal Eldred became pitching coach. In no other industry would you be allowed to fail this spectacularly and keep your job. The only um, analogy I can sort of come up with is if you're a forklift driver and you somehow tear down your entire warehouse with your forklift, they would never let you keep being a forklift driver. It would never happen. That doesn't work. Let's say you're an investment banker and you lose billions of dollars. You don't get to keep being an investment banker. You're bad at it. Same thing goes for Cal Eldred here. That's the thing that's holding him back. The one thing that makes me think is, okay, maybe I'm patient enough. I'll just wait. And when they make that change, I'll be be able to breathe a little easier.
0: The messed up thing is he wasn't qualified for the job to begin. with. I at. know.
1: It's a, Okay, you're a forklift driver, but you never actually had a license to do that.
0: <laughs> you're a forklift driver, but yesterday you were an investment banker and you sucked at that. So. <laughs> you went from investment banker to forklift driver to a pitching coach for the Kansas City Royals. <laughs> yeah, apparently,
1: yeah, I guess. Um, uh, <laughs> that's Cal Eldridge's career trajectory.
0: You didn't yeah, know, but um, he used to be an investment banker and a forklift yeah. driver. Uh, And so, yeah, that's the guy wasn't qualified from the beginning. (laughs) Somebody's going to be making a joke about privilege here. (laughs) It's going to be fantastic. (laughs) Um, But anyway, I'm going to go with my theme for the week—a little bit more positive: the rise of the legends. We're seeing MJ Melendez rise before our eyes into being probably our best hitter in the lineup. We've got Bobby Witt Jr. now becoming the phenom—the phenom that we always thought he could be. Jonathan Heasley has showed us so much. We keep getting numbers on Vinny Pasquantino every week that are unfathomable. Bonkers, so nuts. Bonkers numbers from him. And uh, so, yeah, it's really fun to watch those on a daily basis in the big leagues and Vinny uh, getting those. I get them via Twitter usually, but it's, uh, it's fun to watch that sort of stuff. I hope we can make a change on the pitching side so that we can see it more from the pitchers, but it is fun to watch guys like MJ Melendez and Bobby Witt Jr. and Jonathan Heasley have success at the major league level. Hey, if you like what you're hearing,
1: make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. We tell you this every week. So just go out do it. Subscribe, rate, review. It helps people find the show, helps us build a larger community. If you give us a five-star rating and good review, we read the review on the show. So you get to be like a star on the show for a second. That's pretty amazing. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We're constantly posting new stuff. I'm on Twitter way too much just posting stuff about the Royals. Great insight, great context great content. Check that stuff out. One month remains until the Royals get their yearly chance to infuse the organization with new talent. The boys in blue will pick ninth overall in the first round with another pick at 35th in the competitive balance round this year. But it's too early to talk about the competitive balance round candidates. They're, it's just too far away. Nobody's looking that deep into the draft at this point. So Mike and I are going to focus on draft candidates for that number nine overall pick today during our spotlight segment. First, let's talk about what the Royals, what we think the Royals could and should do with that ninth overall pick. Mike, last year, the Royals shocked everyone by taking a guy named Frank Mazacato, who nobody had heard of, with an as an underslot pick. <laughs> that is
0: very true. I heard Ben Badler uh, give that interview on Royals <laughs> yes. Farm Report the other day, and he's like, like I had only heard of him three weeks before. There was yeah. like, <laughs> exactly. I, 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 yeah. Everybody was shocked. I'm like, yeah.
1: So, so they took Frankie Mazzucato. So that they could do an, what's called an underslot move, which means they took somebody that they could pay less so they could overpay someone else later. And that turned out to be Ben Kaderna and Carter Jensen. Um, is that something that the Royals could be interested in doing again? Should they underslot with this uh, number nine overall pick or should they just try and take a good
0: player at the top of the draft? Without knowing a whole lot about the depth of the class, because I don't really know, is this a deep class? Is it not a deep class? I have no clue. I'm going to say no, that they shouldn't underslot. Now, the Royals are notorious for doing this. They did it with the Sean Manaya year. Uh, who was the guy that they Hunter got? Dozier. Hunter Dozier. Hunter Dozier and Sean Um, They've done it. just They do it quite a bit. Um, and it really, I, I guess, in a strategy sense, it kind of makes sense because then you're getting more guys that have higher ceilings, I guess. But I'm going to say no this year. and this And this is going to kind of play into some of the picks that I make later. I asked Royals Farm Report, like, power is a premium in baseball. It costs money to get guys that have power. So when the Royals are drafting, should they be focusing on that tool when they pick? Because they can't pay for it on the open market. And they came back and said, yeah, I think the Royals try and do that some. Like, they they focus on trying to find star players. And I, I understand that. It hasn't always been that way. You think of Christian Colon was a guy that nobody really thought was a star player. They took him fourth overall. But that's kind of where I think they need to go. I think they need to be looking for something in that first pick that is a star caliber player, has a chance to be a star caliber player, and has a chance to be somebody that can create power with their bat. because the Royals aren't going to ever be able to go buy that.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. And that's what's interesting is that underslotting, I think people people get upset with underslotting and I, I don't necessarily know why, because it's not, necessarily the wrong move especially if the draft sets up right so let's say for example let's say you pick ninth like the royals do this year and you're like well there are seven top tier players in this draft or six top tier players in this draft and then there's just a bunch of guys who we kind of all lump together well why would you take a guy at nine who is kind of basically the same value as a guy who's rated 20th when you could just take the guy who's 20th save a bunch of money and then pay another guy who you had rated roughly in that nine to 20 range as well like it makes sense if the draft shakes out a particular way and you have guys ranked a particular way that said i don't think that this draft sets up well for that this draft is actually fairly deep at the top if that makes sense right now you see uh, baltimore picks number one in the 2022 draft Right now, reports are that they're negotiating with five different guys. They don't know who the... There's no one, two, three best players in this draft like there have been in some years, like in the Adley Rutchman, Bobby Witt Jr. year and stuff like that. This draft class is actually fairly deep at the top with college hitters, especially, and a couple of college or high school prep bats that are really highly thought of as well. And so it's going to be pretty deep. At nine, they're going to have a few good players to choose from, not just one. They're going to have maybe three or four sort of top tier guys to choose from, because there's not a lot of difference between the top, top guys and the guys who are going to be going in the Royals range. And so I think there's just enough depth at the top that it doesn't make sense to sort of underslot this year.
0: And one thing I will say, for those of you that don't know a whole lot about the MLB draft, underslotting generally what you're doing, it's not always this way, but a lot of times when you're underslotting, you're getting guys in that second or that compensatory round or that second round or whatever that are, have other options that may end up going to uh, college to play because they're high, they're, they're highly thought of high school guys or that have other options. Maybe they, I don't know, whatever other options that draft they have. eligible so, sophomore, they can draft go eligible. Stuff like and that. So, so you're, you're enticing them with that higher pay to not go to the, whatever their other option is. Sometimes it's even other sports and things like that. So. Yeah, that just to, to understand why, why you would underslot. You're able to get some talent that may have other options that you wouldn't be able to get without paying them more.
1: Yes, because all these guys, especially the high school guys and things like that, they all have a number, right? They'll say, oh, that's his number. You'll hear them say that sometimes. That just means they have the assigning number, an amount of money that they're willing to forego that future opportunity for. So a high school guy for last year, we'll use Mazzucato and Kaderna as, as the textbook example. Mazzucato gets drafted. He gets underslotted significantly. So they gave him a lot less money so that they could give Ben Kaderna the amount of money he wanted to not go to LSU. And so that's what they did. They did the same thing to Carter Jensen. They gave him the amount of money he wanted to not go to LSU as well. And so that that's sort of what you have to do if you want to underslot. But given the strengths and weaknesses of this draft, the strengths and weaknesses of the Royal system and things like that, it doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense to underslot, I don't think. I think there's enough depth to sort of take a really good player there at number nine Mike, what type of player, if we're thinking about the types of players that exist in this draft, do you think the Royals should try and target with number nine? Are we talking college pitchers, college outfielders, prep infielders, that sort of thing? What type of player would you like to see them go after?
0: I would like to see them, And I don't, position doesn't really necessarily come into play for me in the Major League Baseball draft. Because there's so much of that changes within a system between when a time a guy gets drafted to when he has the ability to get to major league baseball. But here's what I will say: I like for I would like for them to start focusing on young young arms with advanced command and feel for pitching. That would be like prep arms that maybe don't have the best stuff right now. They should have at least something that is their best thing. Let's be honest there, but that you go in and say, okay, he already has a really good feel for pitching. And it looks like the command is going to be next level because you bring them in, you develop them physically and then the stuff maybe ticks up. That's kind of where I would like to see them to go. They haven't really done that. They've kind of, been really more the, of a
1: that's really the stuff. Cleveland
0: model. Actually Cleveland yeah. does
1: this to produce tons of starting pitchers in their organization.
0: And I like that approach. The Royals have really kind of done the opposite of that. They've gone for younger guys that have advanced level stuff. And then they try to teach them command. And that hasn't obviously gone super great, but I like that. And then I like kind of the reverse of that for the hitters. I want advanced, uh, approaches for college level bats. So I'd like them to start looking at college level bats that have advanced approaches. And then you can start to develop. Maybe, maybe they, maybe you get them in a weight room or doing something consistently and their power goes up a little bit or you get them to unlock some uh, hit tool or whatever it is that you get them to develop a little bit as a hitter. But advanced approaches are tough to develop in younger hitters. So overall, that's kind of what I would like to see. Young arms with advanced command and older bats with advanced approaches. That's where I'd like to see them go, not only in this draft, but for the next few years.
1: Yeah, I'm just interested in hitters. That's you can they can be young hitters, they can be old hitters. I just really want them focused on hitters and I want them focused on hitters because that is the thing that their system develops well. They have a track record of developing hitters in the minor league system at this point that is really good or pretty good at the very least, and so that's where they're going to be able to accrue capital. They can they can sort of say, "I need draft hitters, develop them, and then if we need to trade them for something, we trade them for something." Now the Royals are not transactional enough to actually do that, so that's why they're trying to play a catcher in right field. They're going to start playing a first baseman in left field, and this it's because they're not transactional. They don't ever want to trade these guys, and as a result, they're going to be a, a weirdly shaped defensive team here before too long, but. If they could do that, if they create this stable of really good productive minor league hitters, they can trade them away for the pitching that they might need or for players at other positions that they might need and find useful. Luckily, there's a lot of really good college bats in this draft. That's where this draft is, is strong. And so maybe they'll have a chance to get some of those of those players. What I'm going to do now is sort of just read out the top 20 players in this draft as ranked by MLB Pipeline because I want you to have a sense of who we might be choosing from. And then we're going to give you some players that we'd like to see the Royals look at and maybe take in this 2022 draft. This is MLB Pipeline's ranking. It differs a lot from other places' rankings, but we're using it because it's easy to find and that sort of thing. And they do a lot of talking to teams and scouts that are in the industry. Uh, It's as good as any, I suppose. If you like Fangraphs is better or Prospects Lives better, that's fine. They're great too. Um, but number one overall will be drew Or in this ranking is drew Jones an outfielder, a high school outfielder. Elijah green is number two. Another high school outfielder. Jackson holiday is number three, a high school shortstop right now. Anyway, big kid who probably not going to stay at short. Uh, Tamar Johnson is a second baseman, another prep kid. Brooks Lee is the fifth ranked prospect on this, a shortstop, a college shortstop. Kevin Pareda is a uh, college catcher. Uh, number six. Jacob Berry is in at number seven. He's a college third baseman, maybe outfielder, first baseman, DH kind of a guy. Jace Jung is number eight, second baseman, college second baseman, who will probably also be a DH first base kind of guy, maybe. Gavin Cross is an outfielder from Virginia Tech. Brock Porter is a prep right-hander from Michigan. Daniel Susak is a college catcher. Cam Collier is a JUCO third baseman who left high school early, so he's only 17. Uh, 13th is Justin Crawford, an outfielder, prep outfielder. Uh, 14th is Dylan Lesko, a prep, um, pitcher who just had Tommy John, uh, Brandon Barrio is a prep, uh, left-handed pitcher. He's number 15. Number 16 is Robbie Snelling, a left-handed prep pitcher, 17, another left-handed prep pitcher named Jackson Ferris. 18 is a guy named Cole Young, a prep shortstop. Uh, 19 is a guy named Chase Delauder, an outfielder from, I think James Madison, James Madison University. Yeah. And then 20th is Gabriel Hughes, a right-handed pitcher, college guy. And so that's the top 20 as listed by MLB pipeline. Um, we're going to tell you who we think we'd like the Royals to look at. Maybe get uh, Mike, get us started. Who are they taking? It's, 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 it's draft night. Let me set the scene. It's draft, night. it's draft night. The Royals are on the clock. You have now been made president because Dayton Moore has been fired.
0: Who's still available and who do you want them to take? First, we rip off the draft noise from the NFL. ding, ding. Ding, gada, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> With the ninth pick in the Major League Baseball draft for 2022, I would like the Royals, my my now charge, my Kansas City Royals, to select Jace Young out of Texas Tech, second baseman. Is it Young or Jung? It's Young. I'm pretty, it pretty is? sure it's Young. I'm pretty I sure it was. Ju- I thought it was Young, but I'm, I don't know. I don't it's know. Spelled, it's spelled Young. It's, it's spelled like Young, but I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Young. Um, but his older brother was taken eighth, like two or three years ago. Um, same. A lot, of, a lot of similarities, different types of players, but a lot of similarities. So he's out of Texas Tech. And if you haven't heard about Jace Young, he was the 2021 Big 12 player of the year. He kind of, I don't want to say he came out like gangbusters that year because people knew he, he had played in 19 games the year before that. But he came on and people were like, oh my gosh, this guy has one of the greatest hitters we've. I've ever seen in college baseball, and he was that year. I mean, he was unreal, and that's what J.C. Young is. He is an offensive phenom. He's got the hit tool. He's got an advanced approach. He's got power from the left side. Um, here's some just wacky numbers, right? First off, he is, every single year he's played college baseball, he has walked more than he has struck out, okay? Every single year he's played college baseball, he's had an OPS over one in the Big 12, which isn't the top college league, but it's a pretty good conference for college baseball. The problem with Jace Young is he has no defensive value. He plays second base. They moved him to second base at Texas Tech from third base where they had started him. But And he might be able to stick at second base. Some people feel like he can stick at second base. Some people feel like he might be able to play left field. But there may be a chance he's a future first base DH kind of guy. But man, he hits the crap out of the ball. Power. The guy can put bat to ball advanced approach. He is everything you want in a hitter, really quick bat. Um, Even this year, mind you, he was the 2021 big 12 player of the year. So you're coming into 2022. You're not going to get a lot of pitches. People are not going to pitch to Jace young. If you know, when they can pitch to other guys in that lineup. And he still had an OPS over one. He still hit 14 home runs. He still had like in the high teens of doubles. The guy was unreal and is a phenomenal hitter. And, and you know, looking into last year, a lot of people thought he'd be a top three guy. But I think there's a chance he falls to nine because he is kind of that one trick pony and doesn't fit on a lot of teams. He is still relatively young for a college guy. He will only turn 22 at the end of this season. And so I think he's a guy you get into high A early, but moves very quickly to double A and becomes a hitting prospect in your org.
1: Yeah, quite a few guys in that, in the Jace Young, like, um group. I would say guys who are great college bats right now, but don't have defensive positions or look like they don't have a lot of defensive value. That's Jacob a preview Berry. for my next guy too. Damn it. Don't say it. <laughs> oh, yeah, There's a couple <laughs> other guys who fit this mold too, or maybe they have some defensive value, but they're not premier defensive positions or something like that. That's going to happen. I think um, the guy I'm talking about is right now a shortstop. He's a college bat as well. His name is Brooks Lee shortstop out of Cal poly, a switch hitter. He is actually not going to stay at shortstop. I don't think, I think there are some teams who maybe would try and put him there but I for the Royals they definitely won't because they emphasize defense too much uh, and so they'll never keep Brooks Lee at shortstop but he could I think move and be an effective third baseman I watched some film on this guy and the thing that I wa- that I noticed as I'm watching is his arms are insanely long I mean really really long for how tall he is I think he could really make that transition to third pretty easily a coach's son his dad actually coaches at Cal Poly uh, like I said oh, yeah, switch hitter been
0: drafted somewhat mm-hmm. high already out of high school Yeah, very advanced uh, bat. He actually struck out. Yeah,
1: yeah, because his dad coaches. Yeah, (laughs) Um, a very advanced bat. He struck out half as often as he walked, half as often as he walked in, in, uh, in 2022. And so you're talking about a guy with a slash line of 357, Four, with a 462 on base and a 664 slugging. That's good for a 1-1-2-5 one, one, OPS. He had 15 home runs and 25 doubles. Like I said, hits from both sides of the plate. Impressive power, impressive everything. The only thing that will be a knock on him is that one, he probably can't stick it short. And two, he played in a weaker conference. He's at Cal Poly. This isn't the SEC. And so... People might question the level of competition, but he did crush it in, in the Cape Cod league in 2021. And so we'll see, uh, what he does in the Cape this year and that sort of thing. If he plays there, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly when people play there. Um, but a guy who a lot of people think may go ahead of the Royals and he might, he might actually go fifth or sixth, but if he's around at nine, which he could also be because this is the baseball draft teams evaluate players differently, you do not know he could still be there at nine. And if he is. The Royals should really scoop him up, I think, because they don't have anybody set necessarily at third base moving forward.
0: And I know the guys at Rose Farm Report are really big on Brooks Lee as well. Um, they think, I think he's a top three guy, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, that's a Maybe, good one. But guys
1: are getting, teams are seemingly getting really uh, entranced by these big toolsy high school hitters that are up mm-hmm. at the top. And so we'll see if, if that ends up shaking and moving um, Lee down the down the draft at some point. All right, but let's assume that things don't work out exactly as you want them to, Mike. Because how often do they? they let's assume do. let's assume Young is gone by the time you know the spot comes up. Who would you like in his place? Who's your second choice for the Royals at
0: number nine overall? My second choice is a guy that's a lot like my first choice, Jacob <laughs> Berry, is a third baseman, probably not outfielder, maybe, maybe, maybe from LSU. He's a switch hitter. Bit of an unorthodox swing. It's a little weird, but he's got a great approach and he's got great power from both sides of the plate. Another guy who walked more than he struck out this year, and another guy with an OPS over one in the toughest conference in college baseball, the SEC. He might be able to stick in right or left, but there's also a chance that he ends up being a first baseman or DH guy. And there's a lot of people going, but wait, Vinny Pasquantino is already our first base DH guy. And we've got Nick Prado and all that stuff. You can't think about that in the Major League Baseball draft. You have to accumulate the guys because other guys will be traded. This guy may be traded. You you just never know. Like Defensive positions can change. So you have to get the hitters where you can, figure something out defensively if you need to, or trade them.
1: Yes, I have actually advocated for teams to focus on position more a little bit in the draft, but not in terms of like, who's going to play at your major league level. I mean, in terms of what your organization what you is, is weak in. Yeah. you know, like, mm-hmm. so I would be fine if the Royals drafted some center field prospects because they don't have any. And so, you know, like it's, it's what you don't have organizationally that I think they should consider a little bit more, but in this case, you're right. You got to get the hitter if the hitter is good. And so they'll find a place to play him. It's the Andrew Vaughn problem that Detroit is having right now, or is not Detroit Chicago is having right now, which is, Tony LaRusso doesn't know what he does. He's doing, but Andrew Vaughn needs to be in the lineup all the time because he's their like their best hitter or one of their best hitters. They can't find a place for him to play, but that's okay. That's why DHs exist and that sort of thing. Or maybe worse comes to worst, you trade somebody like that, you get what you actually need. And so do not worry about where somebody's going to play positionally. If they can hit, that's what you want to take because that's a premium. Guys can't hit. And so find someone who can. The guy I'm going to talk about can't hit right now, necessarily, <laughs> he's pretty young. Um, and so if you put him on a major league roster right now, he would look completely foolish, but his dad looked really good on a major league roster. I'm talking about Justin Crawford. This is actually who MLB's um, Jim Callis in his most recent mock draft had the Royals taking. Justin Crawford is a left-handed or left-handed hitting, right-handed throwing high school outfielder, the son of Carl Crawford, who was a, I think an all-star a few times at the major league yeah, He had a few at the, at the had major years with the
0: Rays and stuff.
1: Like his dad, Justin is a real toolsy guy, very raw as a hitter, very skinny. He's like 6'3", 175 right now, real thin, but he looks like the the key word with him is projectability. He's the type of guy who looks like a really good athlete who in two or three years is going to have a lot more muscle on him, is going to hit with more power. And if you work on his mechanics, we'll have a good swing. But the question with him is going to be, can you improve that approach and can you approve that swing? And will he unlock some power as he starts to put muscle on? I think he will. I think he's really projectable. He already looks like a good center fielder, is very fast, has long legs, can move and that sort of thing. Good arm in center field. I think he'll be fine in center field. The question is, Can he develop as a hitter? And guess what? Like I said earlier, the Royals can develop hitters and that's what they need to do. Take a guy like this and wait for two or three, four years to go by. He'll look like a totally different player in four years. If you look at this kid right now, you just know he's going to look different in four years because he looks so skinny and like a little bit of a draft right now. But in four years, he's going to look like a legit offensive prospect if they can work with him the way that they should.
0: Do you know who you just described?
1: Who? Bubba Starling. No, no. Here's the big difference. Here's the big, big difference. Justin Crawford is actually a baseball player. That is what he focuses on. He is a baseball player and he still can't hit what big difference, (laughs) big difference. Number two, who's leading the Royals minor league hitting development right now. That's true. Not the people who were leading it when Bubba Starling took over or came in. And so, no, I'm describing an actual good, good athlete with baseball pedigree. His father was a very good baseball player in major league baseball. And so I have a lot more confidence in Justin Crawford develop. Yes. It's a little bit of a risk as all these are the kind of guys. Are. And
0: this is why I like, this is why I like college players when it comes to position players, because this kid could go to college and develop and be, and you're going to find out if he can develop there. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm going to gamble on it. It's going to be well, okay. But, but that's if, why, and they mentioned this the other day. That's why a lot of major league teams are hiring a lot of former college coaches at their lower levels of their minors or for hitting instruction in the summers and things like that. Well, or here's the, the problem, in
1: Here's the problem, right? One, there's no guarantee that he's going into a college program that is actually going to develop him. Well, there are some that don't do a good job of developing players Two, If you have confidence in your development system, then you should be fine with them taking an 18 year old kid and turning him into a superstar, which they could be, they could do with this guy. We're talking superstar level of tools on this kid. The question is, can he be developed? If he's developed, and he has, and this is about makeup too. Some will he put in the effort necessary yeah. to develop? That I don't know. I don't know the kid personally. He maybe he's a great kid and will, but I know that the Royals have the infrastructure in place to develop hitters because we have seen them do it in the past. Look at look at their Bobby two of their, You should be coming at,
0: back with Bobby Wood Jr. You're not.
1: Look at look at three <laughs> of their best hitting prospects: high school guy Bobby Wood Jr., high school guy Nick Prado, high school guy I'm Jim Melendez. All these guys were prep hitters. All of them have turned into what's going to be the cornerstone of their team moving forward. Do it again, except make it a center fielder who can actually run. I do want to mention one pitcher since we have not gotten one pitcher into this mix. And it's a guy, <laughs> I was like, we're going to call him an honorable mention. He's a guy who has a chance to be the first pitcher taken because this is not a great pitcher class. His name is Brock Porter. And I wanted to mention him because I actually did a write-up on him for the Royals Farm Report draft guide the other day. I watched him and I was like, my Lord, this guy is awesome. And so I wanted to sort of put that name out there He's, a, he's from Michigan, a sort of a prep righty, real loose arm, tall, strong kid. The thing that is impressive to me is his fastball looks like it has a ton of carry and his changeup is frigging phenomenal. I mean, it's crazy good pitch. And the thing that's really impressive about him is he has four pitches and as a high school player, he throws all of them. It's not like, oh, I have a killer fastball changeup combo. I'm just going to live on those. Nope. I watched the start of his. He threw all four in the start, all four of them. Slider, curveball change up fastball. It was a really, he's a really impressive guy. And so keep your eye on a guy named Brock Porter. If the Royals are devoted to this young arms thing that Mike was talking about, he might be a guy that they're looking into. The Royals are headed West for a long West coast road trip. They'll have three game series against the San Francisco Giants to start the week, followed by a three game set against the A's to end it. Mike, tell us about the fighting Jake Junises.
0: Well, sadly, the fighting Jake Junis's are without their fearless leader, Jake Junis, right now. (laughs) Went down with a a hamstring injury, uh, and it looks like he's going to miss the start that he was supposed to have against the Royals, which would have been cool to see him throw again. But we're going to open up the Giants to 32 and 26. They're doing very well in a very difficult National League West. So they're third in the National League West with a pretty good record. It's going to start out with Brady Singer versus Alex Wood, a 31-year-old left-handed pitcher out of Georgia. He's in the middle kind of average right now, 4.23 ERA, 1.34 whip. He's a sinker baller, throws a sinker ball about 50% of the time, and gets a lot of ground balls. And so that's kind of what they're going up against. Hopefully they can elevate that against him. The second one will likely be Chris Bubich, we think, versus Logan Webb, 25-year-old right-handed pitcher out of Rockland High School in California, doing very well, 3.77 ERA, young uh, righty that can really throw 1.19 whip, also throws a sinker about a third of the time. Um, has a four scene, but rarely throws it. But they're only hitting uh, hitters, only hitting 178 against his changeup. So he's got a good changeup that he throws quite a bit as well. In that third game, it's my man, Jonathan Heasley, trying to follow up that phenomenal start against Baltimore. Uh, this was going to be Junis's spot. So we don't really know who's going to be pitching there. It's not likely to be Jake Junis, but it's possible, I guess. Um, Is it?
1: He just got put on the IL. I don't think he can
0: come off. Oh, did he? The last I had heard it was still kind of up in the air, whether he could make this starter. or not. Nah, so, I think he's not making it. I think he's on the IL. He's not making it. Okay. Uh, so we don't know who they're going to throw in that third game, but we know Jonathan Heasley will be amazing. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're a very patient team. They've got the third best walk rate in major league baseball. They take some guys and maximize their value, whether that's pitchers and a lot of times with hitters too. So they're a good organization. And it'll be fun. I and mean, then that's a cool ballpark too. So it'll be cool to see games there.
1: Mm-hmm. After they uh, face the Giants of exemplary organization, they're going to go face the Oakland A's who do it a lot differently than the Giants do uh, The Oakland A's right now are 21 and 41 last in the AL West. They're in the middle of a gigantic and hopefully fast for them rebuild because they have sold off so many players. They were just trading them left and right. As you can remember, the Royals were in talks for their one of their starting pitchers, Frankie Montaz. The, they you didn't get rid of,
0: right? They kept, no, him they right. did. They didn't end up getting
1: rid of Montaz. Yeah. They still have him. Um, They have, we have no probables for this series yet, but uh, we can, I can tell you that it is probable that the Oakland days are terrible. Um, So they have a 79 weighted runs created plus, which is next to last in major league baseball. They are a worse hitting team than the Royals. Think about that. Um, They have a few guys having roughly average seasons offensively and Sean Murphy and Elvis Andrus. Yes. Elvis Andrus, who I think is. I don't know, 67 years old starts for this team. Um, they also have Seth Brown. He's having an
0: okay year. And, and, uh, and but uh, they have it's a couple guys to having see him and other thing, anything other than a Rangers uniform.
1: Well, yeah, but know? he hasn't been in a Rangers uniform in years now. This is like, that was like the first half of his life. We're talking about the third <laughs> half of his life. Um, but he's in a Rangers uniform
0: forever. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was a Rangers for so a long bad, time. He now
1: he's been in an Oakland uniform. Uh <laughs> They are having. They have a couple guys offensively who are having just horrific years. Christian Pash, Kevin Smith, really, really bad uh, in that lineup. So it's sort of like the Royals thing where, yeah, they might have a couple of good guys, but they have a few guys who are atrocious, and that's dragging their offense down. Uh, their ro- rotation is also super inconsistent. Frankie Montaz is having a, a good year this year, and they have. A, but they have a few guys with the RAs over five, and that's really killing them. Um, So we'll see what we run into. Not sure if we'll get Montaz or some of the uh, not so great starting pitchers out of them, but uh, at least we'll get to go to the West coast and that should be fun for the players.
0: Yeah. But that means games don't start till nine. Yep. Get ready to stay up late. If you're wanting to watch this team,
1: you think a lot of people in Kansas city are staying up till midnight to watch the Royals. I don't know. Well, in this week's episode, like we end every episode with our Just a Bit Outside segment, we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Baseball is just one tiny part of our lives. It is a we are an infinite universe and there's so many things to talk about. So, Mike, tell us what you're interested in outside the world of baseball this week.
0: Well, now now I feel like the thing I'm talking about is nothing, but it's a real letdown. Yeah, no kidding. I want to talk about Fubo TV. This week my uh, in-laws, my wonderful in-laws, they hooked us up with Fubo TV, which I had never heard of, honestly. Didn't even know it existed. But basically, it's like old school TV, but through a streaming service. So there's like live channels always going on and you can like watch them, the local channels, you know, network channels, that sort of stuff. And it's kind of cool. You can record stuff on there too. Um so I'm trying to figure out my way through that, but every once in a while, like in the morning, especially I'm a teacher. So uh, all day, what I'm doing is basically just watching my my son. So now I'm like, well, what do I want to do? Okay, well, I'll just go flip through some channels like we used to do back in the day, which Mm -hmm. I haven't done in a long time. So uh, that's what I've been doing. So it's just weird to kind of flip through channels again, because that's never, (laughs) that hasn't been done for me in a very long time. I had to, I know about this thing
1: because I used to have to sometimes like, there are a couple times when I've like gotten their trial version of their service because sport live sporting events are on there. And that's the only way Yeah, watch there's them. a lot of live sports that's, on there. I think it's that's how cool. most people are familiar with what Fubo, Fubo TV is. They just use it for that free trial to get one sporting event that they really want to watch that's only offered on there. Um, and so, yeah, that's the only reason I've ever even heard of it. But good for you. Flipping through channels like it's 1972. That's that, great. That like fun. Uh, no, thank
0: you. Uh, I'm talking about- I also started calling the remote the changer. So (laughs) we are no longer related. We are no longer related.
1: Uh, I'm going to talk about something that is more, uh, I don't know, profound sounding. I'm talking about the aesthetic beauty of nature. And why am I talking about that? Because I went to a botanical garden yesterday here in New Orleans and check that out. And every time I go to one, I love going to them. First off, you should know about me. I love going to gardens. I love it. I don't know why. I just like walking around and seeing all the flowers and trees, I get a profound sense of peace being inside places that look beautiful. I found out natural places that look beautiful. And so yesterday went to this botanical garden. At one point I was sitting on like this swing thing and there was a guy playing jazz in the park, like, 300 feet from me. And so I got this faint jazz sound and there were all these beautiful flowers and trees and it was nice outside. And I was in the shade swinging on a swing. And I thought I might have been in heaven, like in the most perfect place on earth. And so it's just one of those things that I constantly feel when I'm in naturally beautiful places. And that makes me more interested in making the surroundings around me more beautiful all the time. And so like, I think about, Oh, I want, like if I get a yard to have a, you know, flowers in it and these beautiful things, and I want to hang out back there and just have very peaceful times back there. And so this is something I didn't start paying attention to until I got older, you know, until I was like, Oh, Uh, when I was a kid, you know, I was like, who cares what anything looks like? I don't give a shit, you know? Um, And now I'm like, oh, well, I want my surroundings to be a little bit more aesthetically pleasing so that I can feel more at peace. So if you're like, oh, your life is very not peaceful and, and you feel like angsty or something, try surrounding yourself with things that you find naturally beautiful. It might help you get some peace going. Have you ever been to Powell
0: gardens out there?
1: Oh yeah. I've been out there a few times. Love it.
0: Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. We We just went for mother's day. the first time I'd ever been there. It was great.
1: It was great. I'll tell you what would be really great is if the Royals can start winning some baseball games. They got a chance this weekend or this week, if they can beat up on the A's and maybe get lucky against the Giants. I don't know. We'll see. Um, But until they end up coming up with a winning week, which they haven't had, have they had a winning week all season? (laughs) Maybe really early on. Maybe really early on. We have maybe talked about one winning week until they have a winning week. I want you to be good to each other and go Royals.